All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Leviticus 12, 13, and 14. <laughs> That's okay. I only have five pages of notes, so stretch out, get comfortable. Today at, is it 2.30 we decided we're going to be at Mazinga? What did the email say? Did anybody read the email? 2.30. 2.30, some folks, maybe you, will be meeting out at Mazingo just to hang out and have some fun. Um, normally do sports and stuff, but it, uh, we decided to do that, or that's what we're going to be. You can do whatever you want, but um, anyway, just uh, suits and badminton and frisbee and who knows, pandemonium at uh, Mazingo Beach today at 2.30. Also, the baby bottle campaign for the Source Medical Clinic, uh, that fundraiser we've been doing is coming to a close. That's today, I think, and maybe Wednesday you could drop it off and um, if you've got a, some change left out there or a bottle left out there, we need the bottles back so we can keep using them because um, we don't want to uh, have to buy those every single year um, and have more cost. I also sent, uh, I haven't sent it out, it's, uh, I put it on Facebook anyway, the sale of the tickets for the September 30th art event has uh, is started. So if you want tickets for that um, or want to sponsor it in any way, let me know. Just email me at ccmaryville. Uh, at gmail.com, um, and I can get those set aside for you and, and deliver them to you whenever um, we actually have them printed off, but we've started sales anyway now so for that. So get the word out for that. It's going to be a neat event. It'll be up at the Mary Lynn, uh, Saran, Houston, or Houston uh, area, but it's the Mary Lynn Auditorium that we'll have it at. It'll be September 30th, 7 o'clock. Um, our artist, Bill, or William <laughs> Butler, will be coming in, and he paints on stage, um, not like the Passion Painters, no offense, but it's a little more complicated than this. Um, beautiful work. You can go to his website and see what he does and how he does it. Believer in the Lord, obviously. Um, our worship team will be in the background doing their thing, uh, what they do best, and some other events will be taking place on stage uh, for about an hour or so. Um, and it's a fundraiser for the source for the year. So I encourage you to come out for that and support that if you can. All right, Exodus, or Leviticus, excuse me, chapters 12, 13, and 14. The first one I wanted to get to two weeks ago when we were in Leviticus. Um, didn't get a chance. It took a little longer than I thought, so I'm going to get to that. It's the ritual of childbirth. Remember, this is the things concerning the Levites. That's what the book of Leviticus means, the things concerning the Levites. These are the priests that were called upon to uh, be the uh, mediators between God and the children of Israel. Of course, we have a high priest now, Jesus, who is our mediator, and that's why it's important to read Leviticus. That's why it's important to read all of the Old Testament, so we understand the depth of what Christ has done for us and is doing for us. So in this chapter 12, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity she shall be unclean, and on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification thirty-three days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. So a little over forty days later she can then go into the temple again, which is when Jesus actually got dedicated, when we see uh, Simeon and we see uh, uh, um, uh, Anna, uh, blessing, how would I forget that name, right? Uh, Anna, blessing Jesus. So that was when this took place. So Jesus, or, uh, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were coming in when that all took place. That's this right here, chapter 12. That's what they were doing. That's why they were there. Um, if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue with her blood of pur her purification 66 days. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or, turtle, or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from her flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or female. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, uh, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her 
and she will be clean. Why is that important? Because obviously we remember Joseph and Mary bringing two turtle doves, which means they didn't have two pennies to rub together. They were poor at the time. God knowing that, God knowing that they would need to flee to Egypt, that's when the wise men show up bringing these gifts, provision for them to get going and be on God's plan. And I think that's a beautiful picture for us to remember in our own walk with Jesus is that he may call us to do something, but he's already prepared the way and provided the way for us to get there. I don't have to worry about, I don't know. I know he wants me to go to Egypt, but how in the world can I afford that? Don't worry, I've got three guys that I sent months ago on your way and they got a lot of money to give you kind of thing. It's all been set. It's all in motion. I'm just informing you of what the plans are. So be encouraged in that. When God calls you to something, he'll provide for you to do what he's called you to do. He's always done that for us. As believers, we're often called into ministry. I don't think I'm capable. I don't think I'm qualified. Well, you're never going to be qualified. The day you think you are qualified is probably the day you ought to resign from your ministry. Um, We're never qualified. We always operate under the power of the Holy Spirit, under his enabling and his ability. And we rely on that. He wants us to rely on that, to be in constant contact with him. So when God calls you to a ministry and your first response is, I don't think I can do that, perfect. You're right where God wants you to be. Because you can't, and I can't. Only God can. And then you begin to pray fervently, God, I've been called to this. You called me to this. I don't know what I'm going to do. Send me Aaron. You don't need Aaron, Moses. You don't need him. I'll put the words in your mouth. I don't know. I don't think I can do it. Fine, bring Aaron. Just let God do what he wants to do with you. And so it's a beautiful picture here. And so that chapter 12 is invaluable for us to understand uh, Joseph and Mary's heart and and how they walked by faith. They just had to do it. They just had to do it. They had to walk by faith. And God put them in a place where they needed to. Their poverty was by design. It was for them to rely upon God's provision, to look on him and to keep their eyes fixed on him. It's a good thing. Now, chapter 13 and 14 concern leprosy. Leprosy is a terrible disease. It's called Hansen's disease today. Uh, Mainly changed the name because Hansen, Dr. Hansen, years ago, hundreds of years ago, found this bacteria, understood what was causing this thing called leprosy. And so they named the disease after him. I don't know if that was complimentary or not, you know, but usually it's named after like Lou Gehrig's disease. It's the guy that first got it. Of course, this is so ancient. This disease is such a problem. It's been so long since it started, they named it after the doctor. And it's a bacteria. And thank goodness, because of that, understanding of that it's a bacterial disease, it can be treated now, not here. Actually, not until about 1868 when it was discovered by Hansen. I think that's the date. Don't hold me to that. Don't Google it. You should have your phones off. You can challenge me later on that. But it was in the 1800s that he discovered this bacteria. But the development of a a cure or a a treatment of antibiotics and and several other cocktail of things they can put together for you, uh, I think it was in 2000, there were still 5.2 million people on the earth with this leprosy. They had it. Now we're down to 186,000. So praise God that he's given us that. You know, praise God that he's given us that. They didn't have that here. It's a terrible disease that attacks, um, first of all, the skin, and it attacks underneath. It can gestate for a very long period of time. It incubates for a long time, up to 30 years, they said. 30 years it can incubate. So you could have this. I think it's, I, I don't think, I think hepatitis C is a lot like that, if I'm not mistaken. It can incubate and sit in your system for a long time. But anyway, it can sit there for a long time and then just happen. It can just happen. It can just begin to erupt or have a, a show itself uh, that it's been in you this whole time. You know, um, That's one of the difficulties about this. It doesn't just show up so they can't identify it quickly um, and treat it quickly. So you could have been spreading it that entire time. More than likely, most of the time, it's not until it erupts on the skin that you actually become very contagious, as contagious as it could get, I should say. Um, but anyway... That's leprosy. It begins to deaden the nerves endings. It does permanent damage to the uh, peripheral nervous system. Um, And uh, that's not repairable. They can stop it. They can arrest it, but they can't repair or restore it. Okay, that's the key here. It's done its damage. 
Now, I'm giving you all this background into this leprosy because it's a very serious thing. God spends two entire chapters discussing the identification of it and what's supposed to happen once it's identified and then how that person needs to live after it's identified. And then finally, what must be done when the person is cured, even though they didn't have one back then. That's very important. They describe this as a horrible thing and need to be very watchful of this, to be very concerned about this because they don't want it going throughout the whole camp. In order to understand probably conservatively 22 different sections of Scripture in the New Testament and towards the end of the Old Testament about sin, you have to understand chapters 13 and 14. Without this base of 13 and 14 in Leviticus, you can't understand um, I'll just name a few of them that I have here. You can't understand Luke 17. You can't understand 2 Kings chapter 5. You can't understand James chapter 1. You can't understand Luke 4.27, Leviticus 22.4, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. You can't understand these verses without this base. So we've got to get this down. Verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on, a, on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of, of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons the priests. The priest shall examine the sore of the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore has turned white, and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. Identification. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and its hair has not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and indeed if the sore appears to be as it was, and the sore is not spread on the skin, Then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day, 14th day now. And indeed, if the sore has faded and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab should at all spread over the skin after he has been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again. And if the priest sees that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. The worst word you could probably hear. No cure, no hope. It's going to deaden your nerves endings. It's going to begin to take care of those peripheral nerves. And here's what happens with the peripheral nerves. They begin to die. Therefore, you don't have the beautiful warning system that God has given us to protect us from harming ourselves. That's why you pull your hand away from the stove, obviously. It's hot, your warning system tells you, your peripheral nerves tell you. Without those, you don't move your hand. You don't realize what's taking place. It begins to take uh, a toll upon your body. You don't know when you've bumped yourself. Peripheral neuropathy is a great example. A lot of people go through that for different reasons, sometimes for diabetes. Begin to lose that feeling in your feet and you can't tell what's taking place. You don't know what's happening until you look down or you take your sock off and you realize you're bleeding. Oh my goodness, how did this happen? I don't know. God uses leprosy throughout the Bible to describe and to parallel sin in our lives. And you can see where he wants to take this. It starts off as something that's been incubating inside of your life for a long period of time, maybe hasn't manifested itself externally yet, but the thoughts have been there. The ideas have been there. Pretty soon you begin to see that your nerves are dead to it and it's not that big a deal anymore. You don't pray about it anymore. It's not something that you need to worry about. It's God hasn't smote me yet kind of thing. And then pretty soon, maybe it's not sin after all. It's deadened the nerve endings, your spiritual nerve endings. Pay attention to those tinglings. Pay attention to those things when the Holy Spirit's trying to prompt you saying, don't go down that road. Don't go in that direction. I don't want you to do that. Well, I don't see any harm in it. I don't see any problems with that. That's a slow deadening of that warning system that God gives us, the Holy Spirit, that conviction that we feel. It's so important to keep that conviction sharp. Pay attention to those convictions. 
Because they die then over time. Pretty soon your heart becomes callous to those things. Those things that God's warned you about and you've said no so many times or you've argued so many times with God. Now you don't even know it. It's not even an issue anymore. It's not even on the prayer list anymore. You just do what you want to do. And then the toll gets taken. All of a sudden there's a sore in your life. It's a sore spot at first begins to gnaw at you. You're beginning to wonder what that is. Maybe pick out a little bit, but not to the point you're going to do anything about it. And it begins to eat away. And although you can go back and be pronounced clean, which we're going to describe here in a little bit, the damage has been done, either to yourself or to the people around you. It's eaten up apart. It's taken away something that can't be brought back again. The disease has taken its toll. Sin does that. It does that. It's identical to this. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, it says this, Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Moses, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. There's hope. There's no hope in man's wisdom. There's no hope in our abilities, but there is hope in God. God can restore. He can repair. He can make it just like it never happened before. And that's our first hint at that. God uses leprosy throughout the Bible to remind us that it's a problem. It's something to pay attention to. It's something to go to the high priest over, but it's also something that there is hope. I can restore it if you come to me. If you come to me. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 16, I think that's right. Yes, that's right. Miriam gets it. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. They've been walking. We're going to see this later on in Numbers. They're walking in the desert. He marries an Ethiopian woman. For he had married the Ethiopian woman, so they said, you shouldn't have married the Ethiopian woman? Nope, has nothing to do with that. They come sideways. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, after he heard this conversation between Miriam and Aaron, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. There's an exclamation point, which means dad's upset and loud at this point. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle. So he met them there and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward and he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is a faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? There's a difference, Aaron and Miriam. Of course you can hear from me. Of course I can reveal myself to you. And that you can even minister on my behalf. But it's different. It's different. Moses is special. Moses is called to a different calling. He's called to a a leadership role. It's different. They were upset about the marriage. They weren't upset about that. They were just trying to see if maybe there could be a replacement for Moses. Maybe I could just knock him off and we could do it. We've been talking about the Lord also. He says, yeah, but it's different. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. And then the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, and suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned, that tells me who started it. Then Aaron turned towards Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, well, there's a switch. Please do not lay this sin on us, in which we have done foolishly, and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead. That's key. She's walking dead. Whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Something took place there. There was an acknowledgement of their sin. There was an acknowledgement. 
that we had done something wrong. And they came right to Moses to get right with him first. And then, please, pray that God would make this right. We don't want to be this way. We, we didn't know or we don't want the results. And the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterward she may be received again. That's fine. I won't let it continue. But we're going to give her seven days to think about it outside of the camp is the idea. This is a big deal, God says. It's not so small that I can just say, oh, okay, never mind. No, no, no. It's at least worth seven for her to stay out there and think about it. And she had to. She had to go outside the camp. There's an isolation that had to take place. And God knew that. And that's God prescribed. No one went out there with her and sat beside her and told her that this is going to be over soon. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. Just keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. No, you can sit out there and be with God by yourself for a little bit and think about these things. You need to get your heart right. You need to spend time with your father. And I don't want to be in the way of that conversation. It's okay. It's okay. It's for her benefit. If God didn't want her to come back, if God didn't want her restored, he wouldn't have given this, this option. He'd say, no, 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 no. She's just a cancer. So there's no hope for her. We're just going to wipe her out. We'll start afresh. Don't worry. There's a lot of ladies out there that can do this prophecy thing. It's not what he said. So no, she's a value to me. She's absolutely my daughter, and I love her, and I want her to get restored. And because you prayed for her and you said it's okay, okay, well, we're going to give her seven days. So she's outside for seven days. Then the Lord said to Moses, her father, okay, so Miriam was shot out of the camp, shot out of the camp, excuse me, of the camp, seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. I love that. And afterward, the people moved from, um, from Hezeroth and camped in the wilderness of uh, Paran. They're all in this. She's outside the camp. It's time to move. Now remember, they only moved when God moved, but he does put this in here for a reason. The whole camp said, well, let's not leave her behind. And you don't. What a perfect example of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians when they kicked the guy out so the, for the destruction of his flesh. But chapter or, uh, 2 Corinthians is for the restoration of his spirit. Yes, yeah, she needs to be out there because that's what God says to do, but we don't want to leave her. We don't want to abandon her. We want her to be restored. We want her back in. We want her with us. We want to travel with her. We want her to get on board. But she had to go through this. She had to experience this. She had to learn. God apparently was afraid that if I take this from her too soon, this may rise up again. This rebellion may kick up in her spirit again, and I want it gone. He's good that way with all of us. I want it gone. I want that sin completely gone. I don't want it. I'm not willing to let this uh, be taken care of superficially. Superficially. I want it to be completely gone. I don't want it to rear its head again because it's damaging. Not only to you, Miriam, but that's obvious. But also you got Aaron on board. You started to take out Moses, the rest of the people. It spreads. And I don't want that spreading. I want you restored, but I want you restored clean. I want you restored clean. I love the story of the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus said, you know, he who has not sinned, cast the first stone. Yeah, Jesus. But we have to remember what he said to her afterwards. Daughter, where are your accusers? They're all gone. That's right. Neither do I. I don't either. But go and sin no more. You don't get to keep living this way. You don't get to go out and find another thing to do that's sinful against me. No, I don't want you to sin anymore. This was, this was forgiveness that I've given you. Not, um, I haven't condoned it. It's forgiveness. And that's what all this is. Miriam's been forgiven. She's been cleansed. She's been made white. But you can't let that rise again. Don't let that come back. It's harmful. So Miriam is our first example now. Verse 45, I want to skip all the way to verse 45 in that same chapter, uh, Leviticus 13. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. He shall uh, cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has, uh, he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. I don't know what that first unclean sounded like. 
okay, it looks like you've got leprosy. You know what you have to do from here on out. Whenever you see anybody walking towards you, because I don't want it to spread to anybody else while you're outside the camp, you have to let them know that you're unclean. You have to be your own town crier to let everybody know, I'm unclean. And there's an exclamation point. When, in other words, you have to yell it, you have to scream it, people have to know it. There's an acknowledgement of it to those around you. You have to let them know you're unclean. Maybe the first time it was kind of quiet because he was embarrassed or she was embarrassed. Unclean, unclean. Well, they're still walking towards me. They must not have heard me. Unclean, unclean, unclean. How that would have felt inside. The isolation these folks would feel through leprosy because of it is overwhelming to the point where there were so many people with leprosy, they developed leprosy colonies just to have that fellowship with people again. Sin isolates us. Sin keeps us from who we used to be able to be around. We used to be in the camp. We used to be there, but now we're not. And so, like sin, leprosy would force us out and make us be unclean. And we have to shout that from the top of our lungs to everybody that came near that wasn't unclean, that wasn't sinning in this area. And because you're sin. And because you're unclean and because it's taken its toll, you begin to hang out with the rest that are sinning in like manner. You begin to form a little colony, the sin folks over here. This is our little sin colony. This is what we do. We hang out, we talk about our sin, we look at each other's sin, we try to help each other with our sin, but we're just over here. It's a sad thing. It's supposed to be a sad thing. It's supposed to be overwhelming. The thought of it, the idea of it was supposed to be horrible. The only thing that comes close to this is dead when it comes to being unclean. As you go through the things concerning the Levites in the book of Leviticus, the only thing that would make you more unclean is to touch a dead body. This is the second worst. You're like a walking dead person. There's no cure. This is doing nothing but going downhill. We have nothing to treat that bacteria. We don't even know what bacteria is. But it'll continue to eat and eat and eat until you die. And that's just how it is. Nobody got cured of this stuff. There was no way for them to perform the next step, which is the cleansing ceremony. Because nobody got cleansed. Nobody was healed unless God intervened. Unless God stepped in. It's only when God steps in does the leprosy get taken care of. If you turn now over to chapter 14, I want to start in verse 1. This is the cleansing side of things. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priests, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop, and dip them in the living bird, or dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in an open field. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair and wash himself in water that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days, but on the seventh day, He shall shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows. All the hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water and he shall be clean. A lot of interesting articles in there for the cleansing ceremony, isn't there? Why do we have two birds? One's going to die, one's going to be set free. What's with the earthen vessel? Why is the hyssop branch dipped in the blood of the killed bird and sprinkled on the living bird. The living bird's allowed to fly free. Hmm. I love it. God is so cool. He is so 
aware of what we were going to need later on. He's setting this up way ahead of time. There was no way for this to ever be performed. There was no cure for leprosy. Nobody got better unless God intervened. They'd never do this ceremony until until Luke 17. Beginning in verse 11, now it happened when he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of the of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who, sorry, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. I wonder what those priests thought when these guys showed up. We've got to go through the cleansing purification rites of leprosy. Where is that? Bob, have you read that before? Yeah, it's clear back in Leviticus. It's chapter 14. We've never done that before. They've never done it. Well, we've got to get some doves. It's the first time. What happened to you? We met this man named Jesus. And as the priests are going through this ceremony, and they're taking these two doves, and they're seeing one shoved into an earthen vessel, this dove, the body, Christ becoming flesh, who used to dwell with God but doesn't anymore, and killed inside of this vessel, and the blood taken with the hyssop and sprinkled on the living bird, and the living bird's allowed to go free. They're watching this gigantic, beautiful object lesson right in front of their eyes, these priests. Many priests came to know Jesus, it says. Probably from this event. Realizing what this was, we've never done this before, not since this man's walked the earth. So cool. So amazing. These ten lepers. Now, of course, we always focus on the one guy, and the one guy came back and thanked God. So don't forget to thank God afterwards. We miss so much of what's going on behind the seas. Why, why God says, go show yourself to the priest. Well, because that's part of the law and you have to do that. that no, 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 no. People need to see this. The priests need to see this. They need to do this chapter 14 for the first time. And as they're going through this, they're going to realize this is a ministry opportunity, their first ministry opportunity. Guys, our testimony is our ministry opportunity. When we walk up to somebody and tell them, here's where I was, here's what I've done, Christ has set me free, I'm no longer a sinner, his righteousness is imputed to me, and they hear that for the first time. Look at you, you're kind of a happy guy now. You've never been a happy guy, I know. I had nothing to be happy about until now. It's beautiful. It's amazing. There's another guy, 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman. His leprosy was healed. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. That's a kind of a big oops. (laughs) But he was a leper. He's got a death sentence. This guy is doing his job knowing he's not going to survive this. But he still goes on. Okay. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Then Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus, and said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Now, he says, I want to write him a letter then. Then the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman says, can I go see this prophet who says, this little girl says he can heal me, can I go? You bet, I'll write you a letter of recommendation. You can travel through all the land, and when you get there, he'll have to do what you tell him to do, because I signed it, put my seal on it, okay. Well, the king of Israel gets this letter and begins to freak out, because he thinks he's In Syria, they thought, well, certainly this great man, this prophet, is in charge of the whole country because he's the greatest man there. So 
They sent it to the king. The king gets it. He's not the greatest man there. And so he's reading this saying, am I God? How can I heal this guy? I can't do this thing. Who gets healed from leprosy? This just doesn't happen. They're going to kill me because I can't do. They're going to think I'm not obeying them. Well, Elisha hears this. Well, let me finish. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing, because that's what we think. We think we have to buy it. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. That's all he wrote. So the king freaks out. Verse 8. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, because that's what you do when you think you're in trouble, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me uh, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went, to the, to his, uh, with, went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. There he was, big pomp and circumstances. He comes up, you know, waiting for the door to be answered. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. He didn't even go answer the door. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious. The leper became furious. And went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord God and wave his hands over the place and heal the leprosy. I had it, I had it all in my mind how he was going to do this cool healing thing. This isn't it. This is really... Anticlimactic. He just said I had to go wash in this nasty river. He became furious. Are not the Abana and the Farper, or Fapar, I don't know how to pronounce it, the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. This, is, this, isn't, even, this isn't even sanitary here. This is the grossest river in the area. I mean, I could have, if it's a matter of washing, I could have done that in my sink. And his servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down. You can almost feel it, right? Reluctantly and dip seven times in the Jordan, probably half-heartedly. That's how I picture it. I don't know how you see it. Or maybe he made it big and, you know, uh, more than it needed to be too. Maybe he was going, you know, as he came out of the water seven times. Or maybe he just went one, two, three, four, five, you know, I don't know. Either way, it had to be one of those two. He came out and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God and all his aides and came and stood before him. And he said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. And he pulls out all the money that he brought. But he said, Elisha said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Absolutely not. Now the story goes on, but the point of this is, God has given us a specific way for us as sinners, lepers, to be healed from our sin, and that is to believe on the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. If that's all there is to it, we say, oh, there's got to be more to it. Don't I have to climb the highest mountain, swim the deepest sea? Isn't there more to it than all that? This is really a letdown. What do you mean believe? Ugh, you know, it's just so touchy-feely, and there's nothing I can do. You just have to believe. What must I do to be what must I do to be saved? Believe on him whom he sent. What must I do to be cleansed of my sin? Believe on him whom he sent. You can't improve upon it, you can't do it any better. But if you believe him and you trust in the cross of Jesus Christ, you'll be restored, just like I was restored and every other Christian that's ever trusted in Christ, they were restored. And your skin will be like a baby's skin. Ever, ever look at kids when they're first born? Man, they got good skin, don't they? Not a problem with them. Just chubby and elastic. Anybody losing their elasticity in their skin kind of just wobbles now? Wrinkles when you do that? It doesn't snap back like it used to? 
<laughs> Kathy's going, can I get a witness? <laughs> We're all going there. I tell you what, when God does a work in your life, he doesn't do just enough to get you to where you were. He takes you all the way back to perfection. It's beautiful. He doesn't just heal there. He goes all the way above and beyond what you ever thought to ask of. Could you just make me like when I was 35, when I still had my back, you know? I could still lift one sheet of drywall, you know, and carry it. We used to, when we built this place, carried, you know, two sheets of five-eighths, not half-inch, five-eighths drywall. <laughs> Paying for it now, man. <laughs> Some of the older guys are going, yep, we told you not to do that. God restores all the way back. And that's important to understand. When I ask God to forgive me of my sins, he doesn't give me a clean slate with a bunch of scars left over. He doesn't give me a second chance. He goes all the way back. That's what imputed righteousness means. It's as if you've never sinned. Baby skin. Leviticus, right? Who'd have thunk it? I love it. Now, we're not done. With this cleansing, Jesus kind of challenged the guys of the day in Luke chapter 4, verse 27, because they were unwilling to receive him. It was too simple. It was too, I don't know. He said at one point that a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. They couldn't receive what Jesus had to say because they knew him. He was from Nazareth. That's the Nazarite. Isn't that Mary's son? Kind of. And maybe Joseph's the dad. We're not sure. Isn't that who this guy is? And he's telling us what to do. They couldn't get past all that. They didn't understand all that. So they had a hard time believing. And Jesus said, In verse 27 of Luke chapter 4, after they challenged him about, they just didn't buy it. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. That was supposed to upset them, and it did. They drove him out after he said that. You know, of all the people that could have been touched by Elisha when he was on the earth, the great man of God that you guys all love and think was awesome, you didn't believe him then either. And the only one that got healed of leprosy was Naaman. Everybody could have gotten healed of leprosy if they believed in God and that God had sent Elijah, but they did or Elisha, but they didn't. Only Naaman submitted himself to what Naaman or what Elisha told him to do. There's something that gets in our way. Our sin. It gets in our way of receiving everything God has for us. It's all there. It's all available. Don't misunderstand me. I don't think that we have to climb the highest mountain and swim the deepest sea to get the blessings of God. But he says something interesting to the Levites in Leviticus 22, verse 4. It says, Whatever man of the descendant of Aaron who is a leper or has a discharge shall not eat the holy things until he is clean. It doesn't say that they're never going to get leprosy, and if they ever get leprosy, there's nothing they can do about it. It does say, though, that they need to be clean to be able to eat of the holy things. And all that means is, if we're comparing things correctly here, you need to get with the Lord about these things, to acknowledge your sin before Him. You can be clean. You can eat of the holy things again, but not until we deal with this. Not until this sin is talked about and you've brought it to me and we've You've acknowledged it before me, but until you do that, in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, you've got to realize your sin. It says, in the year of King Uzziah, uh, when that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips 
unclean, unclean. That's what he means by that. I'm unclean. I've got to let everybody know that I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be in the presence of a holy, pure, and perfect God because I'm unclean. When I see his perfection, then I see my sin. I realize how far away I am. And I'm unclean, says the prophet chosen by God to be his voice. That's amazing. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. We're all a bunch of sinners. We're all a bunch of lepers. We're all unclean. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Yeah, you are unclean, but I can cleanse that. I can fix that. And when I'm done fixing it, I'm going to ask, is there anybody that wants to be a testimony to me? Is there anybody that wants to share me with those around them? And the response is automatic. After you're cleansed, after God's done what he's done, send me. Here I am. I'll go anywhere and say anything you want me to say, Lord. You're now Lord because of what you've done. Peter has the same problem in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake at Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Peter, and asked him to put it out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So there is Peter holding the boat, his boat. While Jesus stands and teaches the people, right? Just helping out the pastor here. Captive audience is what it was. But Simon, Peter, answered and said to him, Master, I'm sorry, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. For taking all this time. That's kind of the idea behind it. I know you guys missed a day. So why don't you go out and fish right now? But Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. When he had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, the guys in the boats saw the miracle and were blessed for sure. This is great. Peter saw something way deeper. I've encountered the living God. I've been in the presence of someone who can command fish. (laughs) I've just heard one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard in my entire life. It broke him. It got into his heart. And he looks at him and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, unclean, unclean. Get away from me. Of course, Jesus didn't. Hebrews chapter 4, the last one, our closing one. Please hear this. If God's touched you at all this morning about your sin and your place with Him, please hear this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. Doesn't look at us with disgust. Can't believe you did it again. He looks at you and has sympathy. Oh man, I love you. I wish you weren't going through this. I'd do anything to help you with this. It's something you have to Confess to me. It's something you have to let me in. You have to let me in charge. You have to let me touch you. And if you keep saying unclean and running from me, I can't do that. I've provided a way. Let's boldly come to that throne of grace, unmerited favor, that we may obtain mercy, not receiving what we do deserve, and find that grace to help in time of need. When do you need it? When you sin. When you're unclean. 
when you're separated with God, from God because of your sin. Unclean, unclean, depart from me. I'm a man of unclean lips, whatever it is. God's like, come here. Let me do something about that. Satan will always tell you and tell I in the midst of our sin, after our sin, in the guilt of our sin, in our own condemnation, self-condemnation, that you can't go back to God. Stay away. Run as far away as you can from him. Just may not as well even think about it anymore. That's Satan. Your Savior, my Savior, our God from on high made a way for us to just boldly come to him. Come, 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 come. No, 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 no. I don't want you ever to think that. That's not my thoughts. That's that guy's thoughts, not my thoughts. My thoughts are for you. I want to bless you. I want to restore you. I want to make you like a baby again. Baby skin. It's his heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for these three chapters, but mainly 13 and 14. God, what an amazing ritual. What an amazing process it was going to have to go through from leprosy to cleansed that you would use later on with your son Jesus Christ to show through an object lesson, through that very situation in chapter 14, that very ceremony, that your son was going to take away the sin of the world, that your son was going to be the sacrificed dove, that your son's blood could be applied to the other and it could be set free and cleansed. Thank you for that, God. We acknowledge that before you this morning. We are unclean. We were sinners, but you've cleansed us through your blood, Jesus. You've died in our place. There's nothing we can do to improve upon that. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your sympathy, God. Thank you for your power to bring us to where you are, God. Lord, if there's any here this morning that have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior this morning, they want to do that. They know, they've heard. Your words say that to be saved, you believe. And maybe they were hoping for some works or something that they could do to earn their way back to you, but they can't. And you've said it in your word that they must just believe that you love them, that you sent your son to die on the cross for them in place of them, that you raised him from the dead. He raised himself from the dead, which means death couldn't hold him because the sin sacrifice was accepted. And now that they believe on you for their salvation, they're free, they're cleansed. They're not just getting a second chance or a clean slate. They're like with baby skin again. Your righteousness has been imputed to us. Our sin has been taken away. We are clean. We've been declared clean by our high priest. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Bless these guys as they go this week. Lord, I pray that you'd have many people who don't know you run into all these folks here this morning that they might testify to them about how good you are and what you've done for all the lost. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.